Weekly Signals, every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9 a.m. Join me, Mike Casper, and Nathan Callahan for the best in reality-based radio. That's Weekly Signals. Check out the website at weeklysignals.com. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, our show is about a very important issue. It's about how to protect yourself online. How to protect your reputation. We have talked about this before. It's pretty scary. Anything can be put up on the internet. Anyone can be the victim of your reputation being ruined. So today we're going to be speaking with the Chief Executive Officer of Reputation Defender. And his name is Michael Furtick. Before I tell you a little bit more about him, I just want to thank all of our wonderful listeners for listening to KUCI This week is our annual fun drive, and we so appreciate your emails and all the time that you spend with us. It's very important to us. We pledge our commitment to bring you great public affairs shows, wonderful guests like our guest today, Michael Furtick, and all of our guests that we've had since 2005. And we also want to pledge to all the terrific music that you're going to hear and KUCI. We air 24-7 here at the university. So please pledge your tax-deductible donation to continue this show, Privacy Piracy, and all the great shows that air 24-7. Call right now, 949-824-5824. That's 949-UCI-KUCI. And in fact, when you call, we'll even give you a pledge gift back from KUCI. So please remember when you do call, mention that you're pledging for privacy piracy, and we sure appreciate it. So we have a fabulous guest today. I'm very excited. I've, I've read articles by him, and I even got a chance to read his new book and saw all sorts of wonderful things about him on the internet. His name is Michael Furtick. He is the Chief Executive Officer of Reputation Defender. And he's a repeat internet entrepreneur and CEO with experience in technology and the law. He founded Reputation Defender in 2006 with the belief that citizens have the right to control and protect their online reputation and their privacy. In his capacity as CEO and position on the advisory board of the Internet Keepsafe Coalition, which is iKeepsafe, a nonprofit that works to protect the health and safety of youth online, 
Michael is regarded as the pioneer of online reputation management and the foremost expert on issues of online privacy. Michael authored the forthcoming book, Wild West 2.0, which I was lucky to get an advanced copy. It's wonderful. And he lectures internationally in front of professional students, school administrators, and parents. Prior to founding Reputation Defender, Michael clerked for the Chief Justice Danny J. Boggs of the Sixth Circuit of Appeals of the United States. He's a graduate of Harvard College and Harvard Law School and speaks several languages and enjoys sailing, reading, and running. You can find out more about him at michaelfurtick.com and also at reputationdefender.com and, of course, at our website at kuci.org slash privacypiracy where you can see his picture, you can see his bio, and you can click on and go right to his URL. So we're so thrilled that you joined us from up north. Michael, thanks again. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I, I think your show is great. And I, um, I'm on your show's webpage right now <laughs> as I talk oh. to you. And I'll tell you, uh, you're, the, the guests on your show are so good. I've worked with some of them. I've, I've met some of them. And I even went to high school with one of them. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, we have something in common as well because I did my postgraduate um, mediation and negotiation training at Harvard. Oh, really? Yes, I did. I loved it. And I also enjoy sailing. Okay. Oh, yeah. I learned to sail at the University of Wisconsin in Madison in a tech dinghy. And we, I used to help race on M20s. Oh, and yeah. um, so I love sailing myself. But now, uh, because I want to get to Catalina quick, we actually have a, a powerboat. But, <laughs> but someday. A place to be on the water near Catalina. Yes. But someday, when I have a lot of time, I'd love to buy a sailboat and go all around the world and just, you know, watch out for those Somali pirates. But I think it would be fun <laughs> otherwise. But yeah, so we do have something in common there. And. Harvard is really gorgeous, and we're just, and I'm a lawyer too, so we got a lot in common. Oh, and, so good. And I'm also worried about reputation on the internet like you are, but you have done some great work. Thank you so much. Tell us, how did you get to be such a techie? You know, you didn't learn that at Harvard Law School, did you? No, I didn't. Um, so it's interesting. I started um, the, kind of my first software company back in, in college. It was a junior in college, and... Um, and so I, I got started in the kind of late nineties, uh, in startups, software startups during what ended up being kind of the first wave of, of exciting startups. Um, and when I went to law school, um, and then clerked, I, I learned about the kind of the topics that we now address topics like. Of what people might call cyber invasion or what people might call cyber bullying. And it occurred to me at that time, as I thought about those topics, that to be effective in that industry with a new approach, a commercial or a technical approach, it would really help to have a background both in technology and in law. Um, because the problems of Reputation and privacy on the Internet are often technical and technological, and getting a good read of, of what's going on on the Internet really requires uh, a deep technical background. And then um, really being able to know what's feasible uh, and what the law is and what the regulatory situation looks like 
It also helps if you have some background in the law. And as I'm guessing you've seen in some of the, the research and thought leadership that you've done in this space, it's often the case, it's too often the case that the kind of the lawyers are on one side of the room and, uh, well, actually, lawyers are in one room and the technologists <laughs> are in a totally different room. Right. And they're not talking to one another. And one of the things that your show does is help bridge that knowledge gap. And one of the things that, that, that I tried to do in thinking about how to build this company was bringing together the expertise of law and technology to bear on this very interesting and growing problem of online reputation. Oh, yeah. You know, I can't tell you how many victims of online identity theft and online reputation call me, whether it's, I mean, I get things like somebody puts up a website pretending to be the victim or, you know, gets on the uh, social internet you know, the social networking or on Match.com or something like that and puts up a website with a person's phone number. In fact, I had a woman on my show who I actually helped, Claire Miller, and the reason I can say her name is because not only was she on my show, but she was in the newspaper. I got her in the New York Times, the front page of the New York Times, because she called me and she couldn't get any help from anybody. Yeah. Somebody had put up a website or a, a, a page uh, on a dating website, giving her phone number, her address, um, every, you know, all these things about her, and then saying things about what she wanted to do with all these men. And they were coming to her door and calling her. And she had no idea why all these men are coming to her door. Finally, somebody said, well, you know, it's because we're responding to the, you know, what you put up on the website. And she said, what are you talking about? So finally, somebody told her, and then she couldn't get a police report. She couldn't get and the company to take anything down, which finally I used an interesting aspect of the law under the Fair Credit Reporting Act. If you're a victim of identity theft, you're allowed to, without a subpoena, ask for all the documents of the fraud account that was established. So we did that <laughs> and we got it without a subpoena and we worked with, you know, at first the law enforcement wouldn't even take a report, but then when we got it in the New York Times, suddenly the New York police, uh, the city police helped us. And uh, we were able to find out, and believe it or not, it was a woman that she knew 10 years before. But I get that kind of stuff all the time calling me of people just taking somebody else's identity online, the cyber, whether it's cyber identity theft or cyber bullying, it is a horrible problem that's growing tremendously because it's so easy to do. It is. I think you're right. I think that assessment is right. You know, a lot of people about... 10 years ago started to wake up to the idea of kind of classic identity theft when it comes to um, it comes to your social security number and then thought leaders like you have really made sure that everybody are really everyone's really aware of that kind of uh, of danger and then about 5 years ago um, people started to start to worry a lot about uh, child predators on the internet, right. and that that now has become something that people are more aware of, so they can uh, take precaution. Right now, uh, five years later, right now people are starting to wake up to the idea that even if you live a very good life, even if you're a decent person, even if you uh, brush your teeth and eat your cornflakes every day, you can still end up being really damaged and destroyed on the internet. Um, one yeah, I mean, professionally, I mean, I have people call me up and say, you know, Mari, I I had this client that was really crazy, and now they're putting stuff all over the Internet about me, you know, lawyers that call me, 
or doctors or accountants. So, you know, anybody can say anything, and it just proliferates like crazy. You're absolutely right. And and it's a, it's bewildering. People who, who feel like they put their customers first in work, who feel like they put their um, special partner uh, in romantic lives first in their romantic lives, people who put their friends first in their personal lives, uh, people who live totally decent lives uh, day in, day out, are often just caught blindsided by one comment or one website or one impersonation on the web yes. that they never understood. They never, they never, um, it doesn't relate to any experience that they, um, that they can understand or, or can remember ever having had in their real lives. It relates to some patient story or customer story or client story that they don't recognize from their working life. It relates to some part of some conversation that they can't remember having where a claim is being made about them. And, and they have no sense of control. They have no sense of, of, of the possibility of doing anything about it. Right. And that's the thing, that's the part that, um, that's the part that I think really is very terrifying to a lot of people. And, and, you know, we've had people who are young people, and I'm sure you've heard about these cases where young people have committed suicide because of what has happened in terms of the kind of cyberbullying on the, on the Internet. Oh, so, my, oh my yeah, word, I mean, it, right. it turns into all sorts of stuff. And then when you think about the, the kind of cyber stalking that happens that people just, it just totally ruins their lives. They lose their jobs. They, you know, it is, it is really, you know, when, when I saw your book, The Wild West, I thought, you know, this is the Wild West. There is no law. I mean, the laws cannot even keep up with well, what is going on. In the mid '90s and late '90s, and that was kind of the Jurassic period of the internet before the internet matured the way it has now. Look, I mean, there's a lot of great stuff on the internet. And, oh yeah. As you know, and and it's important that we don't that we don't come across, I think, when we make these observations as being against the internet or against the free flow of information. Exactly. What I don't think is right though is assuming that what Google finds about you is correct. I would like to think that the internet reflects reality, but it doesn't. The internet reflects a very special and specific set of pieces of information that are almost randomly collected by search engines and then using a set of algorithms that humans who are fallible create, search engines put certain content up on top and other content up on bottom. And often there's no real rhyme or reason to it. You could have a totally awesome work life, romantic life, personal life, civic life, and one random comment from an anonymous person who is choosing to be snarky, who's choosing to target you, or be jealous of you. Or be jealous of you. Or revenge for something that happened, you know, 20 years ago. 20 years ago or 10 years ago, as in the case of the person you helped. Yeah. It can be very, very shocking and very, very, uh, uh, feel very much like an invasion. Uh, and there's really no reason for that to, to, to dominate and control your life or to, or to set the first impression that people have of you. Some people would say, look, everything that's on the Internet deserves to be there. I'll tell you what, as you know, there are a lot of innocent people who are suffering from stuff the internet that does not deserve to be there. Right. First, first of all. Other people would say, well, okay, if it if it if it doesn't 
deserve to be there, well, don't, aren't you going to chill speech or... Right. First chill, Amendment, yeah. Yeah, first, yeah. And the truth is, a lot of the content that we're talking about is not protected by the First Amendment. It never has been. The, the category of defamation or libel or invasion of privacy, fraud, impersonation, those are concepts that have existed at common law well before the First Amendment, and they were not protected then, and they have not been protected since the enactment, the, the adoption of the First Amendment uh, at the time of the, of the founding of the United States. So there's no, there's no protection for that kind of content on the Internet. Also, thirdly, it's a myth that, it's a myth that if, you, if you change the law such as it is today, or if you make it harder to libel someone on the Internet, the myth is that we will actually end up chilling speech on the Internet. I'll tell you what, America has weaker privacy protection than it does copyright protection. Mm-hmm. So if, if, if Viacom or another huge media company sees a video that it does not like on YouTube, the only thing it has to do under the law is send one letter to YouTube, and then that, that letter will compel YouTube to remove the video to which it owns the copyright. Now... By contrast, if your daughter is caught, or son, is caught on a digital camera phone at a party, kissing someone or drinking a beer, and that video is put up on YouTube, legally he or she is out of luck. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a perverse and unintended consequence of well-meaning laws that were passed 10 and 12 years ago, sorry, 12 and 14 years ago, which is a billion years in Internet time. Right. <laughs> and what happens is we can look at the laws of other countries, uh, Europe, even Latin America, and say, hey, look, you know what? They do have a lot more protection for privacy than we do. Let's see how the Internet has been affected there. Guess what? There's a lot of Internet in most of the world. There's a lot of content in most of the world. And even here in the States, there's a lot of photos on the Internet and video on the Internet, even though copyright is so well protected here. So it's a myth that very small changes in the law will actually ruin the Internet. It won't happen. Um, some, of the, some of the fears, I think, are, are articulated uh, understandably by big companies like Google that are afraid of, of being made liable for everything that Google finds, for example. Right. I don't think that's a good way to change the law. I don't think that should happen. No. Uh, but that's why, that's, why the, that's why they're really afraid, I think, of, of any change in the law because they're afraid that they're going to become liable. Um, so, you know, the truth is that the truth is so many people are very, very vulnerable. And, and the, the good news is that there, there is hope and there are things that they can do about it. Okay. So we are speaking with Michael Furtick who is the Chief Executive Officer of Reputation Defender. You can find out more about it at reputationdefender.com. And we're going to find out about it in just a minute, too, because I think it's a great idea, and he's going to tell us exactly how it works. But I want to just ask you to think about pledging for our annual fund drive. We're bringing you great guests every week for the past five years, and Michael Furtick is one of them. He is a terrific techie. He's a lawyer. He is 
uh, the founder and the CEO of Reputation Defender. He's the author of Wild West Point, uh, 2.0. So these are the kinds of guests that we're bringing you all across the country. And we ask just a little bit of a pledge from you. And when you do your pledge, when you give your pledge, which is tax deductible, we will give you back a gift. And you can call 949-824-5824. And our DJs are waiting to get your call. Also, you can call the same thing, uh, 949-UCI-KUCI. And you can help, they'll help you pick out a pledge gift to match your pledge. So remember, it's tax deductible. And when you call, remember that you can mention privacy piracy and that they'll be glad to hear where you learned about this pledge drive. So we thank you. So let's get back, Michael. Tell us about what is Reputation Defender and what exactly does it do? How does it protect us? Thank you. Um, So Reputation Defender is the leading company that protects reputation and privacy in your digital life. We were founded in 2006, and we now have customers in, uh, I think it's over 100 countries, which is very exciting. Hmm. Uh, We're based in California with a little office in uh, Munich, Germany as well. Um, The We we are a for-profit company, um, so I'll describe what we do, um, and then I'll also tell tell your listeners what they can do for themselves without paying a company like mine. Okay. So our our products protect reputation in two ways. One, they offer a detailed assessment with graphics, analytics, and other kinds of tools that give them a sense of how they look on the Internet, not just the open web, but also the deep web, which includes the social Internet, which you can't necessarily access without password, uh, without password access to uh, the network. So you're talking about Facebook, MySpace, those kinds of things? Is that what you're talking about? You got it. And okay. Twitter? Uh, sure. And we okay. give you protection, uh, uh, sorry, sorry, analytics and tools that allow you to track how you compare to everybody else in your zip code, in your profession, in your age group. Um, so how do you look compared to all the other lawyers in California? How do you look compared to all the other men age 30 to 40 in America? How, do you or your, how does your child behave on, the, on social networks as compared to other kids their age uh, or in their network? It's interesting for us to get a sense of it. It's almost like a Google Analytics or a... Or a, or, a, or a mint for your, for your Internet and digital life. It gives you a sense of how you look and how you compare over time as well to everybody else in your, in your demographic or psychographic or geographical region. Okay, so then what happens? After we give you that sense, we also give you tools to improve or repair your reputation. So we give you tools that allow you to say, look, here, you know, here's... The, here's the stuff that I've done in my life, here's the hard work that I've put into my career, my education, my family life. This is the story that I want to tell about myself when people look me up on the Internet or when they look me up in the social web like Facebook or LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. How do I do that? We help you do that. Also, if you have been attacked on the Internet, those tools are very useful to help remediate the problem. So the problem often exists not just because someone is saying something about you on the Internet, but also because 
it's showing up nice and high on the search engines. They're controlling the search engines for you, and you're letting them control the search engines. When you've got a problem on the Internet, it's the, it's the fact of the content that's a problem. It's also the findability of the content oh, that's a yeah. problem. And the replication. <laughs> and the replication. You've got it. How do you slow that down? How do you take control back over your digital life? Well, what we do is um, we give you, using the same tools that we would use for you to establish your reputation the way you want on the Internet, we would use at a kind of higher power uh, or more kind of full diesel power, we would use to actually take control back over your search results so that the positive content or the truthful content shows up about you on the top and the untruthful or misleading content or irrelevant content or obsolete content or old content is pushed down so that people don't see it as much. If you look at the way people use search engines, almost nobody goes below the first page of Google and certainly below the second page. So if you can create that positive first impression about the truth about who you are, then that's what ends up allowing you to restore your digital life in the same way that you can use an antivirus technology to clean your computer of viruses. This is the same thing um, in terms of cleaning the search engines of untruthful, harmful content and making sure that you have a nice, clean operating system for your digital life again. So, Michael, let me ask you something. So you do Google, do you do Ask? Of course. And you do every one of those? Of course. Okay. All the search engines and also in, in many different languages. Um, mm. Yeah. The, um, the, 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 exciting, the exciting thing is, is that many of the different search engines, for our purposes, actually end up behaving the same. Uh, they're not exactly the same, but there's significant overlap. So that if you have impact on Google, you often have impact on Ask and Yahoo and Bing um, and so forth, and even in other languages. It's very, it's, 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 the, they the copy products each are other, pretty yeah. mature that way, which is yeah. cool. There's something else I think that, that I should say your listeners can do for themselves if, if they don't want to have us do it for them. So we're here as professionals with, with engineering backgrounds and reputation experts who do this full-time. And we can do the following things for you, but you can also do them for yourself if you feel you have the time. One thing that you should do is you should go by the URL, meaning the web address that has your name in it. Even if you never use it, you should go buy it, .com. Marifrank.com, which is like what I have. I like what you have. You should okay. also buy .net and .org. Okay. And if you're worried, and I think that even the average person in public life should be, you should consider buying first name, last name, uh, jerk. First name, last name, um, problem, and other words that maybe aren't so radio-friendly, okay? So what do you mean? You mean like... Mari Frank Jerk? <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, I, I was trying to be polite, but yes, that's what I mean. And okay. also other words at the end of your name that probably aren't so nice. Okay? Ah, and the reason, oh, the reason it's good to do that is that it, that buys you your virtual real estate, okay? It's like a kind of insurance policy against future attack. Oh, okay? my goodness. Isn't it? It's a How new day, Mari. How can you keep up just, with that? I mean, then you have to think of every bad word that you could possibly well, think so of. It gets expensive. Well, you can do this yourself or we can do this for you. <laughs> But the point is that once you own them, you own them, and, and, and that way nobody else can go buy them and, and take advantage. And this is so important because 
this ha- this happens in the kind of impersonation story that you told earlier right, right. in the show. This is also important to do on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and all the other social networks that you know about and even ones that you haven't heard about. Because what we see in our business every day is people get impersonated through email addresses, through social networking sites, through profile websites. And what we go and we do is we go and make sure that our customers own at least a large percentage of the, of the conceivable combinations of their name. You know, I had, a, I had a poor lady that called me that lived in a retirement community, and they had like a little listserv of all the people that lived in the community, and they were all retired, so they would, you know, send each other emails about their travels, et cetera. And uh, one day, this, this client of mine went on, and there on the listserv was something that looked like it was from her husband, like a Hotmail account or a Gmail account, a free account, just berating her like crazy you know and her husband never even used the computer never even used the computer uh so anyway we did find out who it was that that did it this is very interesting yes yes it happens too often yes and we found out who it was and then um she called me you know i mean i we i helped her find out who it was and we put out this stuff on the internet you know we also put out that now mari frank attorney and privacy expert is involved in this. You better come forward. We're going to the police right now. And um, and so somebody did come forward. Wow. And we resolved it. Yeah, we actually resolved it. And we, you know, the way we resolved it was such that uh, she kept it quiet who did that. But the person did say that this was a lie and it wasn't, you know, it was false. And, uh, you know, it did clear up the reputation, but it was horrible for her horrible for her and um so it was it was it was revenge it was revenge it was jealousy that's what really drives a lot of the stuff that i hear that's really nasty ex-spouses doing it to each other or you know people will call me and they say you know um somebody made up uh, an email account and sent it to my company pretending to be me and berating the company and i was fired <laughs> oh, wow. you know those are the kinds of things that happen but you know i had a question michael is is it possible, like you were talking about how you put the good stuff up on top and then people don't go to the, you know, the other pages, but I'm questioning, is, does your company do anything to actually delete this from the Internet? So there are times when we actually can get it deleted from the Internet entirely, and um, we've been able to, to achieve success for our customers uh, doing that for years. Um, it's not often, sorry, it's not always the best way to approach it. Sometimes the best way to approach it is to use the opportunity of a negative piece of content as a reason to become very proactive about really establishing a very strong uh, Google presence with a very strong reputation proactively. Um, there are some people who really don't want to be on the Internet, and that, and that sometimes happens, uh, that, we, that we can help them really disappear um, or all but disappear on the web. But, I mean, delete the bad stuff because, you know, what happens, and this has happened to at least clients of mine, you know, when I've been doing this identity theft stuff since 1996. And, I mean, sometimes you think something is gone, all right, and then eight years later it comes back, and it comes back in a, in a huge way, you know. 
And, and so that's why I'm thinking, you know, you really have to do everything you can to just delete it and, and delete it from its source. So you, if, if you really want it gone, then, then going to the source is often the best approach. And, and something that we spend a lot of our time doing is, is trying to source content at its original point because right. that's the point from which it proliferates. Um, you know, it's an interesting story. You do you, you tell stories about about uh, jealousy, which are which is a, a unfortunately very strong motivator when it comes to online attacks. There's another form of of of, of problem that that comes, especially for younger people, sort of kids in high school, college. Right. A lot of this stuff begins not in malice. A lot of things that end up really really problematic do not begin maliciously. They actually begin in inadvertency or even good humor. So something that that are joking, you mean? Yeah, joking, and and so something that looks kind of funny when you're 20 does not look funny when you're 30. Yeah, and something that that is a or joke, when you try to get a job, <laughs> when you try to get a job, and something that looks funny when you're when you're 20 because um, you're in the midst of a kind of ongoing conversation with somebody and joking around. When you, well, when you take that those comments out of context, two years later they look really ugly. Yes. And and by the way, many of us, maybe all of us in the whole world, do something like this when we're bantering with our friends on the phone or instant messenger or SMS or whatever it is, or in person over coffee. We all we all on occasion will say something that, when it's taken in the context of the conversation, can be quite funny, but when it's taken outside the context really, really looks a little bit different. Mm-hmm. So it's nothing to be embarrassed about the fact that this happens sometimes, okay? It's a, real, it's a real part of the feature of good-humored life. The problem is that when it's in print, the problem is, is that when it's taken out of context and preserved in a kind of permanent record for your life digitally forever, yes. taken out of context a few years later, it looks really bad. And so it's so important not only to imagine what is possible as a form of damage today, but what will be possible tomorrow. Let me be specific. Right now, there is no good commercially available visual search technology. What does that mean? That means that a, a search engine or search engine technology that could allow you to find photos of someone just based on the image of who's in the photo. Right now, even Google Images basically searches text associated with the photo. It can't tell what image is Sarah versus Jane versus Jonathan, in fact. Now, what I can say is that that kind of search technology is, is being built all around the world by a lot of different people in academia and in commerce right now. What I can also say is that it is very likely that in the next few years there will be some commercially available technology that allows you to find these photos and videos and sound bites very fast, all instantaneously, without any text-based association, without any caption associated with the text, with the, with the video or photo. Michael, I have to tell you that that is so incredible you're talking about this. I recently heard from a woman who's a beautiful model, mm. And she called me from the East Coast, and she's a, a very well-respected, you know, really upstanding, like doesn't, you know, not with her clothes off type of model, okay? She's just a mm-hmm. high fashion model. Mm. And she found out that her photo was on a 
German, talk about, you know, that you guys have an office in Germany, a German website yeah. with a diff- her head on somebody else's body in pornographic positions, yeah. okay? And she was just livid and upset. And, of course, you know, she called me and what could she do about it? And we talked about it. And, you know, you have to go to the URL and you have to find it and you have to do But this is, so when I hear about this, on one hand, I'm going, oh, this is wonderful. Then you could find if somebody's doing that to you, right? You're absolutely right. And unfortunately, the story you just told is, is, is surprisingly common. Um, and, and what happens is a lot of people believe, a lot of people believe that, um, that the photos that they put up on social networks because they don't tag them, they don't put names up on them. A lot of people believe that those photos will never be found or associated with their names, and that's not true. Yeah, so that was a perfect example of it. You got it. And, and it will get increasingly easy over time to locate these kinds of data points about people, mash them up together, and assign names to photos Right. and assign statistical inferences to the kinds of photos. So if you see that this person who is totally innocent, by the way, right. of being in that photo with right. her face on someone else's body, what will happen is she will be tagged not only as being in that photo, but she will it be destroys her as, reputation as a pornographic kind of person. And that's how she lost one of the jobs she was supposed to get. That's how she found out about it. You because it. she was supposed to do this really you know, high end job. And they said, well, we can't, we can't use you because look at what you've done. So, you know, I mean, I know how easy it is to do because for my sister's 60th birthday, I put her head on a dinosaur (laughs) and I know how easy it is to just do that. I mean, if I can do it, anybody can do it, right? Well, you know, and the the technology is getting, is getting more and more friction free, more and more seamless to do that kind of visual manipulation uh, all the time, and um, you know, I see kids who are just a few years old playing with images in a way that I could not have imagined. You know, I, 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 I probably I can't even do now. Right, right. <laughs> okay. it's, it is amazing what the young ones can do. It is amazing, and so <laughs> over time, this ability to to uh, to damage someone even by mistake is is accelerating. And it's very important for everybody to be increasingly aware of, of this part of their lives. What, the way I think about what we do at Reputation Defender is, might be helpful to help explain to some of the listeners about how maybe they could think about, about how they can take control of their digital lives. Phase one of the Internet was kind of the mid-'90s or late-1990s. It was for basically guys like me, computer people. And... This was a period of time in which a series of threats to computers and machines and nodes, switches, appeared. And this gave rise to a whole industry around antivirus protection, basically. And now everybody uses the Internet, on, uses a computer, has antivirus on their machines in the same way that they have car insurance in their cars. Right. Phase two of the Internet was the late 1990s and early 20- 2000s. This was the rise of e-commerce when people started to buy and sell things on the Internet, like Amazon and eBay and businesses and so forth. And this, this period of time on the, on the Internet gave rise to a series of threats to 
credit card processing to electronic payments to credit card security and also to identity theft, as you pointed out. Mm -hmm. This gave rise to a series of, of, of industries that that help protect against those problems. Industries like encryption, industries like billing systems, industries like fraud detection. And so this became now part of the background life of all Internet life, where you just have to have some protection for your electronic financial well-being. Phase three of the Internet, we at Reputation Defender think, is the 2010s period, in which your whole life is on the web. You live, you work, and you date on and through the Internet. Even if, you're, even if you're not on the Internet a lot, you're still on the Internet and you don't know it because people right. are talking about you and your personal information is out there in databases about you. And now we believe that you have to spend as much energy and time and have as much care for your online personal digital life as you do for your computer for its protection against virus, and you do for your credit card as protection against fraud, and you do for your online bank account as, as protection against being invaded by a data thief. So that's how important we think this problem is, and that's, that also tends to be how important our customers see this problem as being. You know, Mike, I, I do this um, where I use the Google Alerts. So I have alerts for my name in various ways um, and my children's names in various ways so that I get a Google Alert. And I, I don't know if I can do it with all the other search engines. I haven't even really tried, to be honest with you. But every time my name comes up and I get an email, I go and look and sometimes it's something a close a name close to me once in a while it's where I'm quoted and I go wow I didn't even know that they put me in there so you know but I do that because I'm worried about that um do you guys send alerts when something kind of like that like the Google alert do you Google do Google alerts are very useful I also use them I find that um I find that they don't capture actually um all that much so unfortunately I found I mean, I use Google Alerts, and I think that people should use them. But I found that they actually don't capture even most of the content that appears on the Internet about me. And, and I was disappointed to find that in my own experience. Um, my company uh, does alert you to uh, new content about you on the Internet. We give you a detailed report that, that shows you how the discussion about you or other topics that you're interested in changes over time so that there is a there's a change over time that says, oh, there's more activity about your name. There's less. There's more activity about you this month than there is com as compared to other people who are in your profession or in your zip code. So, or, Michael, I just had a question, though. Does it do it similar to the alert, like you get an email and then you can go and look at that URL oh, I, and yes, see? Yes, we will send you a re an email that tells you when there's a new report. And then can you actually go see... Like when I get a Google thing and then I see the URL and I can go there and say, oh, okay, that was that article. Now I remember I actually have a copy of that article. If they're, you know, if I'm quoted or something like that, like you are, you know, I, I Googled you, right? Right. <laughs> of course. I mean, you know that I would. And so I Googled you and I, you know, I found, you know, on ABC News and the law and I found some interesting things and it was fun. You know, it's fun when you're going to interview somebody. You want to go ahead and do that. So. Yep. 
Um, but uh, it's it's nice to get that alert. Then I can go and look at it and say, oh, yeah, that really was me. Or, you know what, they quoted me wrong again, as you probably are used to hearing <laughs> when yep. you do that, too, because you say something and then they quote you wrong. But, you know, basically it's it's in the right realm. And if it's really something really wrong, of course, I'll write right away and do something about it. But um, that's what I'm wondering. I mean, do you guys do that for all the things that I wouldn't know about? I mean, do you have like if. Yeah, so we so we can send reports. Our typical standard reporting system is we give a report once a month. And for people who are not in the public eye the way you are, that's that's more than enough because in sort of every month, um, the they can get a they can get an update and that that shows them all in one place all the content about them, not just on the open internet the way Google would find it, but also on the social web. Oh, good. For customers who want something that is more frequent, we we can offer a more frequent reporting system, and some of our customers do. Most of them don't need it. Yeah. Um, the, 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 the important thing is also to get a sense of what the tone of the content is. And one of the great advances that our technology, I think, uh, our company is, is proudest of is what we call sentiment analysis. So every piece of content that we find about you on the open Internet, on the social web, on the deep web, Every, all, every piece of content is measured. It's measured for whether it's positive or negative, and if it's positive or negative, how positive or negative. And that way, it's, it's pretty cool to see. You can see a kind of a graph as to what kinds of content could be a problem for you, what kinds of content might be actually helpful to you in your life. And what's interesting about this also is that every piece of content is measured for how visible it is. And when a piece of content is very positive and very visible, then it's very helpful to you. If it's very positive but not visible, then guess what? It doesn't help you. Right. It's not helping you establish your reputation. Similarly, if it's things very positive, sorry, sorry, negative and very visible, even if it's mildly negative, it can really do a damage, right. a lot of damage. Right. So our job is to give you those kinds of personal analytics and graphs that you can track all of that kind of information very seamlessly. So how do you get it up higher? I know like when I look at Google and they're always trying to say, why don't you, I, I come up, my identitytheft.org comes up really high. I've been up there a long time. I think it's the name. It's the, you know, all the stuff that I have on there, but I'm like number five and I've, I've never paid to be up there. So if you want to bring all of this content up, do you have to pay Google to do that? I mean, what do you do to get it up there? Oh, so no, we don't pay Google. Um, I um, what we do is we spend a lot of our time at Reputation Defender measuring why Google prefers certain content to others. So we spend a huge amount of time, including time that uh, uh, you know with PhDs on our team, for example, spending time trying to figure out why Google thinks that certain content is more important or authoritative about you than other content. Mm -hmm. And our objective, our objective is to play by Google's own rules in teaching the machine, teaching the Google machine, why certain content should be actually preferable in its own eyes as compared to you, as compared to others. So it, we sp it's our our a lot of our team time is spent in research and development. It's spent in figuring out why or how we can teach Google that some content about you should, in fact, be more authoritative 
and more relevant and more fresh in Google's eyes than the content that it might initially have up there about you. Um, so, so we track many variables. We track variables. Some people think that Google cares about how many clicks a particular website gets or how many visitors a particular website gets. Well, that's not wrong, but it's a very, very tiny percentage of the overall picture. Um, Google cares about how many links a website gets. Google cares about how old a website is, about how much new content there is on the website. Google cares about whether the name of the subject being searched, meaning your name, is in the headline of the article that's about you versus the last line of the article that's about you. It cares about whether your name is in the URL, meaning the web address. It cares about many, 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 many variables that I, I can't even list right. uh, in the time we have left. Right, right. And so what we spend a lot of our time doing is searching and researching and re-researching the different variables that Google cares about to decide what comes up on top. And then we go about playing by Google's own rules to rearrange the results. We are speaking with a wonderful techie and lawyer. We're speaking with Michael Furtick, who is the Chief Executive Officer of Reputation Defender. We're talking about a very frightening issue about how your reputation can be ruined on the Internet and so easily and so unfairly. Michael is a repeat Internet entrepreneur, and he is also the author of Wild West 2.0, which we're going to talk about in just a minute. And just, I'm so thrilled to be able to bring you fabulous guests like this for the past five years. If you've gone to KUCI.org slash privacy piracy, you see I have the top experts, even Michael said so. So we have a great great show that we're able to bring you on Privacy Piracy. And we just ask if you love this show and you love KUCI, we're asking for any donation you can give us, uh, not us, but to give to KUCI, which is nonprofit. You get a tax-deductible donation and you get a free gift, a pledge gift back from us. And we would love to have you just, whatever you can give, you give back to us and we'll give more and more to you. You can call right now. Our DJs are waiting right now on the lines. You can call 949-824-5824. That's 949, let me say that again, 949-UCI-KUCI. And I also want to offer you, if you want to call our office directly, toll free, 800-725-0807. And my staff will go online help you to do your credit card donation, and also help you to specifically pick out your pledge gift. So we'll do that for you if you're a, one of our best listeners. So make your tax-deductible donation right now, UCI, KUCI. And please remember to mention KUCI and privacy piracy. So, you know, Michael, I wanted to ask you about your book. Tell us about your new book that's coming out, Web 2.0. And um, tell us what's the Wild West. Yes, Wild to, West 2.0. Yeah, 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 I know. Uh, I have it. I was so thrilled that you guys sent it to me. So. Well, I'm so glad that you're willing to talk about it. I think, actually, you're the first journalist who has covered it at all. Um, it's going to be published in June, and so the buzz is starting to build. Publishers Weekly just gave a really great review of it that came out, I think it was Monday. So that was all over my Facebook page. Um, oh, very good. I imagine. I'm excited. And Jimmy Wales, who is the founder of Wikipedia, has given a very nice blurb for the book as well. I'm very proud of that. 
Wild West 2.0, which is now available on Amazon and will be available in bookstores later in June, is the first book that really explores not only the problem of online reputation, but also the solutions that people can bring to bear on how to fight back if they're maligned, how to prevent a problem if they don't have one already, how to assess whether they have a problem that they don't even know about, and how to, how to stay on top of the issue so that they're never blindsided. It's a book that's very well situated and very well um, uh, uh, suited for individuals who are not Internet experts. It's, it's a book for a public audience that would like to learn how the Internet might affect them personally, professionally, or commercially, if they're small business owners especially. And the business, the, the book itself is published by a business publisher, Amacom. So they're really focused on making sure that there are practical solutions for the readers to the problems that are just coming into focus in our public life. So that's the, that's the mission of the book. Uh, my co-author on the book, David Thompson, is the chief privacy officer here at Reputation Defender. And he was a clerk to the Supreme Court of the United States before coming, coming here. Um, he and I uh, uh, are, are both from a legal and a technical background. And so you'll get the flavor of Internet technology and also law in the book, but it's definitely for a non-technical audience. The real purpose of the book was to show how you are, yes, yes, you're under threat as the average person, but also here are things that you can do to make your situation a lot more protected and a lot more strong for the future digitally. You know, one of your chapters called Anonymous Cowards really hits it right on the head because people can put up, you know, they have all these pen names or they have whatever name or don't put a name or they go anonymous, which, you know, you want to protect free speech, but at the same time, they can attack each other. So why do people attack each other online? You know, it's it's a it's kind of depressing, but I think that um, when you find out actually who some of the people who are doing the attacking actually are, when you unmask their anonymity, as they as we sometimes uh, find happens, um, when you find out who's been anonymously attacking others on the internet, it's often people you'd just be surprised to find out would actually do it. They're people who are professionals. They're people who are people who are educated, they're people who are very active in civic life. And sometimes just anonymity gets the better of, of people. Um, um, you know, there are actually, um, while, though, it, though, it, though it happens that a lot of different people uh, end up doing it anonymously, um, it's, it's still a very small minority of the overall population that does it. And actually, when it comes down to it, one layer deeper of the research, you find out that a very small subset of the small minority who ever attack people anonymously do it the most. So it's a very tiny percentage of people who use the Internet who are really doing damage to a lot of people on the web, and they do it anonymously. They're very happy to go ruin other people's lives, but they would never have the courage to come out into the sunlight and say something openly. And, and here's what's especially depressing. What's especially depressing and then I'll get to what's hopeful. Okay, what's, good, what's good. Especially, I... <laughs> what's especially depressing, before I get to what's hopeful, yeah. is that some of the people who do it are people who work with you, whom you see at the restaurant, whom you see at the corner bar, whom you see in church, and they smile to your face and they stab you in the back anonymously. Now, here's what you can do about it. Here's the hope. The good news is you can actually, by being proactive before you have a problem, the good news is 
you never actually have to have a problem that really hurts you on the Internet. By making sure that you dominate your search results, by making sure that you take good care with the kinds of content that you publish and that you think about the future of the kinds of content you, that you publish and how it can be recontextualized and reused in ways that you never thought about, when you, when you follow the, trips that, the tips and tricks that we put in the book, you can actually end up avoiding a lot of the problems that haunt people. Also, if you ever have a problem, there are things you can do about it. It's not a hopeless day. People sometimes think about the Internet as this untamed beast. The truth is there's a lot of things you can do to really make the situation better and to alleviate the pain that you might be feeling. Well, you know, uh, we're sitting here on the campus of the University of California, Irvine, and I know from having a daughter who is a senior here and having, you know, a son who also was, you know, grown up in this age, uh, that they are much more free about what they do. I, I'm still scared to even do Facebook or LinkedIn. I mean, I, I go on there and I look, but I really don't even put anything on there because I am just scared to death just because of what we've been talking about. But um, they use the Internet, you know, like second nature to them. And the younger kids, like you were talking about, the little ones are going to be even more open. What specifically do you want to tell these college students? They should probably read your book too, right? I, I would love them to read the book. Uh, the, the, I talk to a lot of groups of college kids and graduate school kids and even high school kids and middle school kids. And, you know, when you're, the truth is when you're 17 or 16 or 18, you're invincible, right? 20 years old, you're invincible. Right. And I, I'm 31 now. I, I've learned that I'm not invincible. <laughs> but I, I did feel that I was invincible at that age too. And so it's hard sometimes to communicate at first, hey, guys, even though you're 18, even though you're 16 and very savvy, 15, this also does apply to you. But what I can tell you is that we've been in business now for four years, and we've seen people who are digital natives, meaning the kinds of kids you're describing, kids who grew up on the Internet, who are now no longer 18, now they're 22. They're now no longer 20, now they're 24. And guess what? Their opinions of the topic have changed because their reality has changed. Their peers have different opinions. And they actually understand now that they might have overshared at some point. So it's true that, that, the, that the culture of the time changes, but the culture doesn't change as starkly as it might first appear. People are less private, but they're not, they're not blind to privacy, and they have not given up on privacy. In fact, kids who, are, who, who use social networks are so savvy about social networks and so savvy often about the potential dangers that they are often the ones who are asking and clamoring for more privacy control and more settings that allow them to decide what to share and what not to share with different people. Because well, you know what? We are out of time. Do you believe that? We have to have you back. This is just incredible stuff because it's going to be changing a lot, isn't I'd it? I'd love to come back. Thank you for having well, me. Well, you are just wonderful. We so appreciate your coming down. And we also, will, well, actually, you weren't here, but you were on the phone. <laughs> And um, we will be looking for Wild West 2.0, and we're going to visit your website at reputationdefender.com. And we sure appreciate you, Michael, and we'll talk soon. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Thank you. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank, your host. And I just want to mention again that this is the annual fun drive, and we so appreciate you're listening to our show. This was a great show today with Michael Furtick. And we bring we have the opportunity to bring you all these wonderful CEOs and authors and 
great people to educate us and you. So please make your tax-deductible donation and give a call to 949-UCI-KUCI. That's 949-UCI-KUCI. Or you can call 800-725-0807 and we will personally find you the right pledge gift when you make your pledge and it's tax deductible. Thank you so much for listening to KUCI and thank you for listening to Privacy Piracy. Please join us next week at 8 to 9 a.m. right here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Thanks. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.